With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride bringing you another episode of our Behind Enemy Lines podcast. A day earlier this week with the short week coming up. And let me be the first to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. But speaking of Thanksgiving... The Raiders are set to take on the Cowboys this Thursday, and R.J. Ochoa, who covers the Cowboys for Blogging the Boys, SB Nation's site that covers all things Dallas Cowboys, was kind enough to join us today. So, R.J., thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? Uh, I've been better, uh, but it's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, really excited. Uh, really excited for Thursday. Um, excited for the Raiders game. First time Cowboys playing the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, and first time since 2013 at home. That came also on Thanksgiving, obviously. Uh, I was at the last Cowboys Raiders game in Oakland, obviously a really, really great time. Um, so I wish that, you know, this, this was coming under a little bit of better circumstances for the Cowboys as far as, you know, who they've been on the field lately, but uh, it's fun. I, I know that not uh, every team gets to play on Thanksgiving every year. And so it's kind of a treat, you know, if, if you don't get to, uh, but it's always fun. It's always special. So i um, excited for the week and food and holiday and family time. My wife and I, decorated for christmas already so we're feeling the spirit a lot <laughs> awesome well i tell you it's kind of funny i was also at that cowboys uh um raiders game with my wife or with my girlfriend at the time now wife so funny we we're actually at the same place at the same time so i am curious or before we get started where can the uh, people find you we're all football fans around here so where can the people find you out on social media um on twitter and instagram at rjo cho and that kind of serves as it's just a hub central hub for everything i do Obviously, blogontheboys.com. You can search for Blog on the Boys anywhere. Our YouTube channel, uh, Bill Williamson, will be on our preview show this week. So looking forward to having Bill on there. And um, obviously, our podcast network, we have a lot of shows that come out every day. Uh, it's been a fun ride most of this season. But when, when you check in uh, right now, it can be a little bit toxic because you know how losses can be. So uh, yeah. I'm doing what I can, doing my part to put out as many fires as I can. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, you don't have to tell Raider fans that it, it, as brutal as it was for yesterday was for you guys, uh, it was just as bad for Raiders. So, but I'm curious, you talked a little bit about it. Can you talk a little bit about like what the Thanksgiving day, like what's different about playing on Thanksgiving, especially with the Cowboys who are kind of, you know, obviously the Lions play on Thanksgiving every day, but let's be honest, the Cow- Thursday is the, thing, is the Cowboys day. So how is that kind of worked and what's different about this game? Um, you know, I, I would, I would not want to like over romanticize it and, you know, um, and, and sound like I'm, I'm making a big deal out of nothing, but it is different. Um, it's, you know, obviously, you know, we're still living in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, I don't know how many people are traveling, who's spending time with their family, but there's that element to it, right? Like that's, I think every Cowboys fan would tell you that like, it's different because you're generally around your family um, for this game or, or more people in your family than you're used to. And so you've got to hear the opinions of those people. Um, and so that can be frustrating because, you know, there are people that you don't talk to all the time or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you do get the, the Lions game to obviously kind of warm you up. It's really never a good game, uh, <laughs> amazingly. Um, but, you know, it, it's, you know, other than saying it feels epic, I mean, you know, that sounds silly and like it doesn't really mean anything, but it does. 
Uh, it feels big. It feels fun. You get used to the, you know, Thanksgiving caricatures and jokes and little puns and and whatnot. And you get to see the players, you know, on the broadcast. They'll they'll hang out with somebody in their family and ask them what they're thankful for and stuff. And so it's a nice kind of annual thing. The halftime show uh, is part of it, um, to, to be frank. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the Cowboys haven't been in the Super Bowl in forever and, and all the jokes and whatnot, but it's kind of like a Super Bowl halftime show. It's longer than a normal standard halftime. Um, and this year it's Luke Combs for the Cowboys that performs and everybody sees it. Um, and I will say now, uh, since there is enough time, um, you know, and I know you've probably got a lot of West Coast listeners and whatnot, but you have to plan your meal around this. Uh, you know, <laughs> growing up, um, we always went to my aunt's house for Thanksgiving and we would beg her to serve it, you know, serve the Thanksgiving dinner early and she wouldn't. And so invariably we wound up eating right around when this game was on. So you do have to kind of adjust your day, um, but, uh, but it's, it's fun. And uh, it's, it's a game you remember, I think, certainly uh, when the season un- is over and you look back on and uh, I'm happy that it's against the Raiders. I always want it to be, you know, a special sort of flair. And that's what this game feels like it has right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's funny. It's like every national television game is like the biggest thing is like everyone's watching. But like this one's like nobody else has yeah. anything to do. Everything's everybody's off work. Everybody, everybody is literally watching. It almost is like the Super Bowl. Like you probably get, you know, uh, in the the eight digit figures of uh, viewers and whatnot. So anyways, I always like to start these off by talking about the team as a whole. So the Cowboys are sitting at seven to three with the two and a half game lead over the Eagles for the NFC East. How are you feeling about them so far for the rest or how are you feeling about them for the rest of the season? You know, a lot of Cowboys fans are, are smashing the panic button. They've lost two of their last three, um, much to, I think, Raiders fans, um, you know, uh, not. <laughs> yeah, you guys haven't helped us at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As they've lost to the Broncos and the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, you, you can kind of explain away if, if you try, you know, these losses and, and what's happened to them and, you don't have to move the goalposts, a, a really, you know, strong, you know, sense of direction or anything like that. But um, so I think everyone recognizes that this is a really good team that's that's been missing some notable players. Uh, they've been missing some notable players for a long time that has had two really flat performances out of the last three games. And so, you know, it's a little bit of turbulent waters as far as the NFC East is concerned. You know, really, since the, um, the Cowboys played on Monday Night Football in week three when they beat the Eagles, it's kind of felt like this is the Cowboys division to lose especially as, as everyone else in the division continue to flounder. Um, now, this week is a, is a rare week, and, and we're talking on Monday, so we'll see what happens on Monday night. Uh, but so far, every non-Cowboys NFC East team has won. And so, you know, you've got Washington fans who are at four and six thinking, hey, we've, we've got a chance, we've got a shot. You know, Philadelphia fans thinking, hey, you know, we're, we're in this mix at five and six. And to be very clear here, I don't, I'm not worried about the Cowboys' chances, but uh, for anyone who's unaware – we're about to see, like, if, if you are a Raiders fan that hates when the NFC East is on prime time or the NFC East gets love, we're about to see an enormous amount of NFC East football. Um, after the Raiders, the Cowboys go to New Orleans next Thursday. The, the Cowboys, that's something unique about the Cowboys, too, is they generally get Thanksgiving and then the Thursday after. Um, and so, but after that, the Cowboys, of their final five games, four of them are against the NFC East. For the Philadelphia Eagles, five of their final six games are against the NFC East. The Washington football team's last five games in a row are against the NFC East. In fact, uh, Washington has a four-week stretch where they play Dallas, Philly, Dallas, Philly. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a lot up in the air. And I think everyone kind of looks at this division, obviously based off of last year, and says, 
well, everybody's bad. And, you know, every, every fan base is looking at that, that little stretch they have coming up, except for maybe the Giants, saying all of these games are winnable because they are if you're, you know, in the NFC East. I still think the Cowboys are far and away the best team in the division. Um, and, you know, a lot of people thought that maybe they would have this sewn up by, by now. I mean, they only have three losses, but um, it's, it's their division to lose as long as they take care of business. I think, you know, no Cowboys fan wants to hear this, but they could afford, frankly, to lose on Thanksgiving and still be in a comfortable position, given that they have all that control kind of ahead of them. But um, it's a down week, but ultimately still a, still a team that's very likely going to have some caps and T-shirts in about a month. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, I, was surpri- I am surprised to see the Eagles surge because it seems like after the, the Raiders and the Eagles played, the Raiders kind of took it to them. And then both teams have kind of like flipped scripts since, the, since that game. Like the Eagles, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if they won every game since then or maybe dropped one of them. And then the Raiders have lost every game since then. And I was actually surprised to see it get a little bit tighter. But I do think, I do think you're right. I do think the, uh, the Cowboys will end up winning the division. Um, and I mean, last week for them, as far as, uh, like we said, it hurts the Raiders, but didn't really hurt their chances as far as the playoff goes or anything like that. And then even this week, like you said, same thing again, almost a three-game lead. Dropping a team into an a, dropping a game to an ASC team is not going to be too much of a difference, but I am curious: how confident are you in this Cowboys team at making a, a Super Bowl run? Right? If we're gonna if we're gonna assume or think that they have a pretty good chance at making the the playoffs, which I think everybody listening and both of us are on the same page on that. Like, as far as making that next step and getting that trophy, how confident are you? Well, so first of all, apologies. My dog's name is Bear, <laughs> no um, and uh, and so he doesn't have a lot to cheer for uh, as far as his, his. He wasn't named after the Bears, but you know, there's kind of his two team. Um, so he's he's pretty pretty pissed off these days. But you know, it's I mean, and everyone's talking about obviously how this season in the NFL is is so wild and so weird and so wonky and so unpredictable. Every week it seems there's a, a crazy, can't believe loss, a, a new statement win for a different team. I think. You know, like the Colts probably have the, the most statement-y statement win, you know, of, of all teams. And and, and with, it's interestingly happened to teams that are kind of like in these national moments, national narratives. We'll, we'll see all about the Colts on, on hard knocks this week and whatnot. So um, there, there's a lot of different like moving parts constantly happening. And so I think when you look at the, the state of the, the NFC as a whole, you know, the Cowboys lost to the Buccaneers in week one. Everybody saw that in the season opening game. I think they can go toe to toe with them. You know, and, and obviously, assuming health, you know, uh, it remains to be seen what the Cowboys will look like with respect to that on Thursday. Um, but Amari Cooper's not going to play, uh, obviously. But, you know, it doesn't, we don't know if CeeDee Lamb's going to play. It does seem like Tyron Smith's going to play. But if all those guys are back, um, you know, I think we, we trust this offense to, to play quite well. You know, ideally, I think, you know, for a, for a long time, um, Cowboys fans have, have already been, you know, so focused on the NFC playoff picture. In fact, uh, if you remember about, about six weeks ago, the Buccaneers were in Philadelphia on Thursday night football. And there were there was a big debate, you know, a shot throughout Twitter and stuff among Cowboys fans. Well, should we be rooting for the Eagles at this point? Should we should we be more focused on on playoff positioning, on on conference, you know, tiebreakers and things like that? We want every team to lose. And and there's that fine balance of of when you know you've locked up the division. Uh, like that was a point for me personally, where I was not ready to, you know, root for the Eagles in that sense. Thank you, Bear. Uh, but last week, Washington beat Tampa. That felt like, okay, you know, th- we're, we're now reaching this point. And obviously the Cowboys losing now kind of sets you back in that sense. But um, I don't think there's a team in the NFC that I would a thousand times out of a thousand times pick to beat the Cowboys. I mean, the Cardinals are very interesting and continue to find ways. And they, I don't know that I think they're a paper tiger. I just, I, I really feel... 
I don't know. I, I, they, they don't feel to me like there's, there's always that kind of consensus top team and, and they just don't feel like that to me, even though they, they are on paper. Um, I think the Cowboys can play with the Packers. I know the Packers had a, a great offensive showing on Sunday, but um, I think the Cowboys can go toe to toe with them. I think they obviously can go toe to toe with Tampa. And, and the big discussion for Cowboys fans for a long time has been, you don't want to be the four seed because if you're the four seed, you're going to play the loser of the NFC West, which has looked like it, it's going to be the Rams for a long time now. But with the Rams kind of withering, obviously they were on by this week. You know, people aren't as scared of that as they have been in, in seasons past. And so I do think, I know I'm, I'm not totally answering the question. This has been um, kind of a season of vindication for the Cowboys in some senses. Uh, they went to New England. They hadn't won in New England in forever. They had never beaten a Bill Belichick-led Patriots team. Um, they, they got that monkey off their bat, uh, back. They, they went to Minnesota. Everybody saw this game on Sunday Night Football and won without Dak Prescott. That was something that they had not been able to Very do regardless of whether it was Dak or, or Tony Romo. They had not been able to, to get over that hump as a team. Um, and so something I want, I, I mean, just I want the theater of it. I want the Cowboys to play the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round of the playoffs because that's when Aaron Rodgers has doomed them. Uh, I want it to be at Lambeau Field. Um, and, and, you know, the, the drought for the Cowboys is getting to the NFC championship. Game. That's obviously the round before. Um, and it does appear that we're kind of on a collision course for this. And so I want them to play Aaron Rodgers with a ticket to the title game on the line. And I don't know if I think Aaron Rodgers is getting traded in the offseason, but I want his last game as a Green Bay Packer to be a loss to the team he's tormented. And the round that he's tormented them in, led by the head coach who ran out of town. I think, you know, we've had those kinds of storylines happen this season. So I hope we get that uh, in a couple of months. I can just hear the pain in your voice as you say those words and you talk every time you say Aaron Rodgers, it's just like, yeah, you almost like have this, this look on your face. Like, I just can't stand that guy. I love it. He's um, I mean, he's, he's a different uh, discussion point lately, but uh, <laughs> in terms of his career, he has owned the Cowboys and it's, it's uh, it's been really frustrating to say. The yeah, least. for sure. Never forget that. What was it? like the, the last second comeback or whatever a few years ago in the playoffs. I never forget. I'm sure you don't. It was third and it was third and 20. Yeah. Uh, we, I, we remember it well. I'm sure I needed to remind you of that as well. But. <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about some Dak Prescott. Dak obviously went down last year uh, and we saw, saw how that turned out, but he's been healthy this year and the team's rolling from your perspective. What's the biggest thing that Dak uh, brings to this team? And what would you say is most notable difference difference in the offense with him on the field versus with them, with him out on the field? So this version of Dak, um, and I, I apologize in advance for this answer, um, <laughs> this, this version of Dak, you know, everybody saw him as a rookie and, you know, everybody debated whether he was who he was because of Ezekiel Elliott, obviously had an incredible rookie season. Um, 2017, their, their second year in the NFL together, um, for anyone who doesn't remember, the last time the Cowboys played the Raiders, actually. Um, was the will Zeke be suspended? Will he not be suspended? You know, every week was kind of a, a new hurdle in that. Um, actually, the game in Oakland was the last game they played without Zeke um, when he was suspended. And so 2018 comes and, okay, you know, the Zeke thing's behind you. Everything's going to kind of calm down and, and, and move forward. Uh, the Cowboys released Des Bryant. Uh, Jason Witten retired for the first time. And the Cowboys approached the wide receiver uh, position as a wide receiver by committee thing. They had Deontay Thompson, Alan Hearns, and Cole Beasley, and Terrence Williams, and um, Tavon Austin, and it did not work. And so Dak was really, you know, at that point, that early part of the 2018 season, it was really troubling. And you were starting to wonder, is, is, is he regressing? What's, what's happening here? And then the Cowboys traded for Amari Cooper. 
And that changed everything. Um, and, and a lot of that obviously is a testament to Amari, but that really unlocked who Dak has become as a passer and as an overall quarterback. Um, and obviously, you know, that 2018 season was the last time the Cowboys made the playoffs. They won. They lost that first game against Tennessee, but then they ripped off five in a row, won the division, beat the Seahawks in the playoffs. Um, and then, okay, 2019, Scott Linehan's fired and Kellen Moore's promoted offensive coordinator. And so Kellen comes in and now you've got this combination of Kellen and you've got obviously Amari Cooper. And at the time, John Kitna was Dak Prescott's quarterbacks coach and really kind of reset him fundamentally. And so it was this kind of perfect storm that he needed. And 2019 was this great year for Dak statistically. Uh, but it was Jason Garrett's last season. So you had this kind of constant dark cloud hanging over the team and the season. In fact, Thanksgiving that year was really embarrassing. They lost to the Bills um, in, in heavy fashion. And so, all right, great. Now it's 2020. You got a new coach. Mike McCarthy's coming in. He's the final piece. He's done it before the pandemic hits. Everybody has to deal with that. Uh, Travis Frederick retired. Cowboys longtime center. And, you know, their right tackle, Lyle Collins, didn't play at all last season, showed up to camp out of shape. That kept him out all year. Tyron Smith barely played. And then Dak himself got hurt after he put together. Everybody remembers what he did at the beginning of the season last year from a, like a fantasy standpoint. He was great. And so you, you had all these things that, you know, made sense. And, and so that, that made defending him really difficult just because people wanted to poke and prod at different, you know, kind of sectors of his game, um, especially because he didn't have his contract. And so this offseason gets his contract, gets taken care of, um, has, has become, I think, now somebody that a lot of people root for, um, given his advocacy for mental health and things like that. And so it's just kind of really, you know, locked himself in, in, in a lot of ways in life. And so you've got the offensive coordinator now who's grown. You've got Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup's developed. And obviously you drafted CeeDee Lamb last year. And now you've got a defense that's turning the ball over. And so like everything has finally coalesced in, in the way that we've all sort of wanted it to. Um, and he's, he's, been, he's been becoming this person slowly and slowly and surely with setback here, setback there. Um, so it's, it's kind of been a long, elongated process that's gotten us to this point. But uh, but this this has been who it's felt like he was going to become for you know three years at this point. Awesome. Well, I do want to ask you if you think that nasty leg injury has changed the way his playing style at all. Is he more of like a pocket passer and running a little bit less or anything like that, or is he kind of still the same guy that he was? You know, I do think he maybe he's you know he holds off on on breaking away you know a half a second longer. Um, you, you could kind of see that early. But, but their last win, you know, was a win over the Atlanta Falcons. And they were up 36 to three in that game, in the final seconds of the third quarter. And he lowered his shoulder to, to get into the end zone. Um, so, you know, I, he's, there's, the, there's a fine line, I think, between, you know, bravery and, and, and you know, being reckless. And he's, yeah, he's, um, he's, he's towing that line at times. Um, so I, I don't know that I think he's dramatically changed. He's obviously different. I think you're going to be different no matter what. But, um, but he's, He's, he's been the same guy for all intents and purposes. Yeah, I definitely felt like when I was watching and specifically the, the primetime game against the Buccaneers to start the season, it felt like a little bit like not necessarily that he was like, you know, um, deficient or anything, but it sounded like he was a little bit more cautious to take off, probably a little bit in his head his first game back since that rep injury. But in the few games I've watched ever since then, he seems kind of like he's back running around. And like you said, lowering his shoulder, dropping the shoulder down to, to pick up uh, a touchdown up 30 points or whatnot. But what I do want to ask you, the last couple of games, uh, or not the last couple of games, but two games that you mentioned against the Broncos and Chiefs, against the AFC West teams, he has struggled a little bit. 
Um, so is there any type of defense or coverages or whatever that he does necessarily struggles with, or is that uh, just kind of anomalies in the last, in those two weeks? I don't know if they're anomalies. Um, you know, they've, they've been playing without Tyron Smith for, for this three game stretch since that Denver game. And, you know, I mean, like any quarterback pressure, you know, flusters Dak. And, and right. we've seen that, that, that was an issue against Denver. That was an issue against Kansas city. Um, and, and pressure has come from that left side. You know, Terrence Steele is a second year undrafted free agent. Uh, he was playing on the right side this season when Lyle Collins was suspended. Uh, the Cowboys kicked him out to the left side when, you know, Lyle was back and Tyron was out, obviously. Um, but, you know, and, and what's more is on Sunday against the Chiefs, the Cowboys not only had Terrence Steele at left tackle, but uh, they started Connor McGovern at left guard for the first time as opposed to Connor Williams. And so, you know, you've got different parts, different pieces. And, and that's I would I would attribute the deficiencies more to that than to anything else, any particular scheme, just because. You know, if, if anybody watched that Chiefs game, Dak was was on the run for, for most of the day. That's just kind of the way it went. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's move on to some of Dak's weapons. And you mentioned Amari Cooper. Uh, we already know he's going to be out with COVID. Uh, C.D. Lamb had a concussion on Sunday. Obviously questionable if he can make it through protocols by Thursday. So we'll just assume for right now that both of those two are going to be out. What can you tell us about what Dallas's offense is missing without them in the lineup and who's going to be replacing them? I mean, they're missing their their top two wide receivers. And I know that Michael Gallup is obviously really special and has been really special. Michael Gallup actually um, suffered a calf strain in the season opener against Tampa uh, and, and was out, you know, at that point all the way up until last, or I guess, two weeks ago against the Atlanta Falcons. He, you know, that was the second game of the season. Kansas City was his third game of the season and obviously went into that with CeeDee Lamb opposite of him, but could very well, to your point, be going into Thanksgiving as kind of the guy. Um, the Cowboys do have Cedric Wilson, uh, who they also drafted in 2018 uh, out of Boise State, who's been a nice kind of, you know, ancillary part for them at wide receiver. He's had some moments uh, kind of operating as their wide receiver for uh, it's a different world to be that than it is to be, you know, the other guy on the outside. Uh, if CeeDee Lamb is back, you know, even if he plays, I don't know how much he would play, but uh, CeeDee's damage has come mostly his, his top damage has come out of the slot, which he really can't play if Amari Cooper's not there. And so, in some way, shape, or form, the Cowboys are, are operating with different pieces at the wide receiver position. And if it's just Michael Gallup out there of the three, um, you know, I, I know the Raiders fans are probably down on their team, but that, that's a tall order for this Cowboys offense, even with that Prescott at quarterback. The other, you know, weapon I, I think in the air is Dalton Schultz, who was also part of that 2018 draft class. Um, and, and the Cowboys have had an interesting kind of run at tight end. Um, you know, Jason Witten unretired before the 2019 season. Um, and, and Blake Jarwin was, was kind of the evolving tight end at that time. And Jason Witten showed up to call his snaps and then left, ironically enough, for the Raiders in 2020. And so last year, entering 2020, Blake Jarwin got a new deal from the Cowboys. It was, okay, here's your time to shine. You're the top tight end on the team. Tore his ACL in week one against the Rams. And so ever since then, it's kind of been the Dalton Schultz show. And he's really showed up really, you know, even, you know, despite not really playing with Dak Prescott last year, uh, really kind of developed into the top tight end on the team. He's such a you know clutch security blanket for Dak Prescott, uh, and he scores a lot. I mean, he is, I think, you know, you, you talk about the, the Travis Kelseys and George Kittles and Darren Wallers of the world. I'd put Dalton Schultz in the top, you know, on a given day, six to seven tight ends in the NFL. So he's somebody that Dak does tend to lean on. Uh, and if Amari and CD are both out for this entire game, somebody who I think would play a prominent role. 
Well, RJ, I got to tell you, I think you might be reading reading my mind right now because I had four questions lined up as follow-ups to your uh, weapons, and you <laughs> talked about all three guys that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> nice. So, uh, but Michael Gallup, I mean, you did mention um, did mention he's coming off the injury, and obviously he's going to be taking on a new role. So, I'm curious, you know, what have you seen from Michael Gallup in the few weeks that he has been back since the injury compared to him uh, before the injury, and do you think he's capable of being the number one receiver for at least a week? It's so hard to evaluate him just because, you know, the Atlanta game was this just this onslaught of, of points, especially in the second quarter. And the, the second half against the Falcons was kind of moot for the Cowboys. You know, it was, it was just kind of, you know, running the ball, trying to end the game, get out of there with no injuries. And so um, he, he didn't play, you know, his, his normal workload. The Cowboys did bring Malik Turner in. Um, I think they were easing him in slowly. Obviously, he had to play a little bit more against the Chiefs on Sunday. Uh, he did have a great catch against the Falcons. A lot of people saw that, the kind of toe tap, stay in bounds. I was on a fourth down. Um, he's always been clutch. He's always he's always kind of been the deep threat of these three uh, for the Cowboys. And so you, you've got that element to his game. Uh, but his sample size is just so small. I mean, he's played three full games at this point. And so it's, you know, he, he has a, a large body of work in terms of who he is and has been as a Cowboy. But uh, but this season is very strange for him, which is interesting. I mean, this this is a contract year for him. And the Cowboys, you know, a talking point, you know, although this has really changed in the last, I don't know, 30 hours at this point, um, many people have wondered in the offseason if the Cowboys should cut Amari Cooper, they'd only eat $6 million to do so, and, you know, sign Michael Gallup to a long-term contract, pair C.D. Lamb with him for the foreseeable future. Um, Amari Cooper clearly plays an important role on this offense, which was evidenced against Kansas City. Um, and right now you don't know what you have from Michael Gallup. And so I, I think, you know, whether or not he's a number one wide receiver or can be a number one wide receiver is a question that I think a lot of NFL front offices are asking as it relates to offseason free agency. Yeah, the Cowboys definitely have a embarrassment and riches with uh, Cooper, Gallup and, and CeeDee Lamb. So I can't blame you on that point. And then the other two guys that you brought up, Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz did a great job telling us about what to expect from them and who they are as players. I'm just kind of curious, you know, your confidence level heading into Thursday with them being, you know, the, the basically competing for the second option of the receiving weapon. I'm really confident in Dalton Schultz. I mean, he's, he's really kind of, I wouldn't say carried this exact load, but he's, he's played an important role in the offense before. And so I, I think he's certainly capable, you know, Cedric Wilson has had big bright moments uh, when the Cowboys went to New England, they faced a fourth down early in, in the kind of the final moments where they needed some magic. And Cedric Wilson came up with an incredible conversion. Um, and that's kind of been what he what he has been. He's been this kind of like, you know, clutch guy, clutch moment. He had a huge touchdown in that Sunday night game against the Minnesota Vikings. But, you know, we haven't ever really seen him with what would be a full kind of starting wide receiver, you know, workload that he would theoretically get if CeeDee Lamb has to miss this game as well. Um, and so it's hard to know. I think it's, it's fair to trust him to a certain degree, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, he's not CD lamb. He's not Amari Cooper. So you're going to regress a little bit, which is why I think Dalton Schultz could be the guy to step up just a little bit more. Gotcha. Well, we've got to talk about the running backs because I imagine the Cowboys will be running the ball a lot with what we were just talking about and all the injuries and Ezekiel Elliott and Ezekiel Elliott is a really interesting back. It feels like everyone agrees that he's a good running back, but it also feels like everyone agrees that he's overpaid. So I'm curious, where do you stand with Zeke and why is he such a polarizing player? You know, um, it, it's you do run into the Zeke stands um, that, that are fine with whatever people. It's not it's not your money. Why do you care if he's overpaid? Um, you know, thankfully, the, the heart of those debates is really over. And I think the reason it was so polarizing 
you know, I remember in the um, the lead up to Dak Prescott's contract negotiations, and, th- and those lasted for a long time. Um, Stephen Jones um, did a hit with Mike Florio and said that there were all sorts of analytics that showed how you, you know, clamp your team, so to speak, if you devote a certain percentage of the salary cap or greater to one player. Um, and so it was really stupid um, and silly and dumb. And that's, you know, that, that's it. The, 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 when the Cowboys speak, it has made the subject of Zeke polarizing. <laughs> it was Jerry Jones who said that, or, you know, Stephen Jones, excuse me, that said that uh, Zeke was the straw that stirred the drink. And, you know, the Cowboys were saying and touting this message in an era where more information about football has been available to us than in the history of mankind. And so they've kind of worsened the issue. It hasn't helped that they've had other contract whiffs like paying Jalen Smith, like not paying Byron Jones. Um, And so Zeke is kind of the face of that. Now, while it's difficult, or I would argue impossible to justify spending the fourth overall pick on a running back or giving him a $90 million contract, there is an enormous value to who Zeke is. And, you know, I I think he's obviously extremely close with Dak Prescott. And in a lot of ways, he represents kind of the new age version of this team. Um, everybody remembers Valley Ranch, the Cowboys old training facility. It was in 2016 when they drafted Dak and Zeke that they opened their new facility, the Star. And so Zeke is, is kind of a poster boy for, you know, who the Cowboys have been in this new um, new era. And so he's, he's meaningful to the team. But, you know, he's also meaningful to the football team as, as a whole, like on the field. Is he the fastest running back in the NFL? No. Is he going to lead the NFL in rushing? Probably not. Is he, you know, going to put up 100-yard games after 100-yard games? Is, is he going to be that 2016 version of himself that looked like the outlier? Probably not. But he is exceptional in certain areas. He is maybe like the third-best pass blocker on the team altogether. Um, and that has proven to be extremely valuable to the Cowboys. He is, you know, you need – this sounds cliche and arbitrary, but you need one yard, fourth and one. That dude is, is going to find a way. He is, he's the most, I think, malleable player on their team, the most versatile. He can do the most things at a high level. And so, he, you know, the, the contract and the pick, everything is water under the bridge at this point. He does represent something significant to the Cowboys. And I think a majority of people have just kind of come to that place. Gotcha. So I have my answers to this next question, but I'm curious if they, how they line up with yours. What would you say Zeke's biggest strength and weaknesses? Um, his biggest strength is certainly pass blocking. Um, now his biggest weakness, um, has probably been like breakaway speed. I think that that would be what people have cited forever. You know, he really doesn't have, um, any kind of like massive, you know, scampering touchdowns or anything like that. Um, but you know, that that's never been an issue for them because the Cowboys, you know, especially under Jason Garrett, they've wanted to be this. Every drive is long, methodical, you know, eats up eight minutes off the clock. I mean, the Cowboys have tried to be the 1990s version of them uh, for 15 years now, and it hasn't worked. Um, so, you know, he's he's not, um, you know, he's, he's not Nick Chubb in that sense. He's not even Dalvin Cook. He's not, you know, Jonathan Taylor. He's not even Derrick Henry is, is kind of the outlier. He, he doesn't have that element to his game. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the weaknesses, our weaknesses kind of align a lot uh, just because I feel like Zeke's always been a great runner, but struggling to make guys miss. And like you said, that breakaway speed's probably been one of the biggest areas that he struggled with. And I haven't say I can't say I pay attention to his pass walking as much as probably you would, but I would always felt like 
the one thing that I always notice about Zeke, even going back to his Ohio State days, is the guy always finishes runs falling forward. Like you're talking sure. about getting that fourth and one. I'm like, that's exactly what he is. Like the guy just his gets his pad level low, keeps his feet moving through contact, and he's always going to get that extra couple of yards that really end up making a difference when you when you carry the ball 20 times a game. We're talking about you know 20 to 40 more yards in the game. That's huge. Um, but I do want to want to go over the other running back in in uh, Dallas's lineup, and this is probably the most in depth I've ever gone and on running backs. But again. Cowboys passing game down at wide receiver, and they got a pretty another pretty good running back in Tony Pollard. Can you give us some insight in what he brings to the Cowboys offense? So Tony has really evolved um, in um, in terms of his role. Drafted in 2019, and everybody kind of thought he could come in and just be this nice break, nice alternative. Um, 2020, you know, his role in the offense started to grow a little bit. The Cowboys started to use them both simultaneously. Um, so I think he's really just grown and developed as an NFL player. I think there is this misconception that he's only this, you know, lightning to Zeke Elliott's thunder, that he's just this kind of fast, quick, twitchy running back. He's physical too. I mean, he's not Zeke Elliott to your point, but, um, there's an argument to be made. People have had this argument that he is the best, you know, most well-rounded running back on the team right now. And um, so he's I, I think he's probably the second best running back in the NFC East. You know, that that's kind of where they're at. If you think that Zeke is the best. Um, and so, I mean, he is, you know, it, it, they're in a very interesting, very luxurious spot, obviously having both of them. Uh, but he he is fast. He is. They, they incorporate him in different ways. They used him on a trip play in Kansas City on a reverse. Um, they, they use him on kick returns. I mean, they, they love to find those sort of, um, you know, wait, you know, places under the rock that nobody tends to look to use um, to, to get him on the field, because at the end of the day, they still want to use the, they still obviously want to throw the ball, but there are opportunities that I think some teams miss that they can use Tony Pollard. Do you think Tony Pollard is going to have an expanded role on Thursday? So Zeke had a, his knee issue kind of flared up a little bit in Kansas city, had a, a funny moment. Um, I think he'll be involved as, as much as he has been to this point. I mean, I think it, it, it really is dependent on, on what they want to do with Zeke Elliott. Mike McCarthy, at least under Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys have wanted to avoid Zeke having 300 touches before Thanksgiving. And so the idea has long been preservation until the playoffs. And so they have treated Zeke Elliott as their priority in that sense. So I could totally see them saying, you know what, this is our second game in five days. Uh, obviously, you know, that's, that's a tough stretch for anybody. I could totally see them saying we're gonna we're gonna balance this a little bit more. If you know if if the balance has been 65-35 at different times, it might be 60-40, it might be you know 55-45, it might be 50-50. I could totally see them, you know, thinking about that just in the interest of surviving this game from a physical standpoint. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we've talked about the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the running backs, but all it means nothing without the offensive line. Part of me feels like the Cowboys' offensive line gets a lot of love based on reputation. They've been really good in the past, but I feel like they've regressed recently. As a whole, would you agree with me, or am I just an idiot? You know, um, this was something we uh, we talked about in our postgame show after the Cowboys lost to Kansas City, the Fox broadcast. Um, thankfully, the Thanksgiving Day games on CBS – <laughs> uh, was talking about how the Cowboys had the best offensive line in the NFL. And to your point, I think that people on a national level kind of fall into these like uh, tropes or cliches. Uh, Cowboys have the best offensive line in the NFL. Every linebacker on the Steelers is great. Every linebacker on the Ravens is great. Uh, you know, the Raiders just love to draft the fast guys. You know, like everybody kind of leans on these, you know, preconceived notions, um, you know, for all of time. And, and I, you know, the Cowboys offensive line has been better last year. You know, they were awful, but part of the reason for that was again, their right tackle, Lyle Collins didn't play at all. And Tyron Smith barely played. And so you, you play any season without your intended top two tackles and it's going to be difficult. Now Lyle Collins played the first game of the season and then was suspended for five games. And then the Cowboys didn't start him the very next game. Tyron Smith has, has always had issues dating back to 2016, which is the entire Dak Prescott era. He's, he's good to miss three to four games on average every single season. Obviously last year was a little bit worse in that sense. You know, Zach Martin got run over by Chris Jones in Kansas city. Granted, Chris Jones is really impressive. Um, and the Cowboys, you know, they, this, this offensive line has gotten to the point where they actually made a change at starter. You know, that has not happened. And I don't even know how long um, that due to performance, the Cowboys, you know, pulled one player in favor of another, which they did again for Connor Williams uh, when they replaced him with Connor McGovern. Tyler Biotish is a second-year center for them, fourth-round pick last year. He's been pretty solid as of late, generally. He's had some, some wonky moments. Uh, his tougher games have come against Tampa and Kansas City, but obviously going up against some, some stat D tackles in those contests. But, yeah, I think, you know, there, there may be the seventh to twelfth best offensive line on a given day in the NFL, but, but the days of them being the absolute number one top line in the NFL are, are certainly a little bit behind them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I feel like they're definitely still a good unit up front. Like you said, probably that 7 to 12 range sounds about right. But I, I like we were talking about before, it's it's the reputation right now. I mean, granted, Tyron Smith, I think, is a big part of that. He was, for years, he was the best left tackle and almost undisputed the best left tackle in the game. Um, but, you know, last few years, he suffered some injuries. And that's kind of part of the reason why I feel like they are kind of getting in, getting more love and not quite as good as what the expectation is because Tyron Smith hasn't been the same player he was, but I am curious. I know you said he's banged up. Um, is, does he still have anything left in the tank? Is he still a quality player when he is playing? And then building off that, is he going to be playing on Thursday? Cause I know he did get injured uh, recently again. So. Yeah. So I think every Cowboys fan would still take, you know, 13, 12, 13 games of Tyron and, and whatever supplement you have to use to get through the rest of the season, then, you know, 17 games of somebody else. And I think the Cowboys clearly made that decision. You know, Micah Parsons has gotten a lot of love and, and rightfully so, 
but a lot of people wanted the Cowboys to draft for Sean Slater when he was there at 10 and at 12 when they traded back with the Eagles. And so they didn't. They didn't because they, they obviously feel and, and continue or felt and continue to feel like they can rely on these tackles to a certain degree. And, you know, kind of what I mentioned about Mike McCarthy in the interest of preservation as far as playing on Thursday, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, but the, the reality is, and, and no Cowboys fan wants to hear this, especially the day after the loss, but that Chiefs game is the least consequential game or one of the least consequential games the Cowboys can play as far as tiebreakers are concerned. And you know how it is. Every every fan wants to win every game. It's unacceptable. You can't, you can't possibly ever consider losing or you're losers. Um, but, you know, this is a tough turnaround. And the Cowboys know this turnaround very well, especially, like I said, they, they go from Sunday to Sunday to Thursday to Thursday. And that's always a tough stretch for them, uh, those four games in a row like that before they get the mini buy. Because, you know, most teams in the NFL, when they go from Sunday to Thursday, they get the mini buy right away. The Cowboys have to play seven days later, obviously, next week on Thursday Night Football. And so I think the Cowboys looked at this situation and said, look, we can bring Tyron back in Kansas City and he can play two games in five days or we can bring him back against the Raiders. Um, he can play that game. Hopefully we win. And then we can put him on a normal timeline and play the very next Thursday. They love to treat it normally. They'll, they'll refer to Thursday as Sunday and Friday as their Monday and Saturday as their Tuesday because they're weird like that. And the reality, again, is, you know, Kansas City and Vegas are two of the least consequential games for them. But that New Orleans game is an NFC opponent. And so, you know, I think if you could have asked the Cowboys, you can only win two of these next three games, Kansas City, Vegas, and New Orleans. Which two do you want? They would have said New Orleans and one of the other two. We don't care. Um, and so I think that they kind of projected themselves to be in position to do that. And so I do think Tyron's going to play. Uh, that's kind of He was really close last week, and I think that at the very end they decided to just be a little bit patient and roll the dice and hope they, they wound up winning anyway. But they were prepared for what happened, obviously, if they did lose. Gotcha. So you, this is a unrelated note, but you um, talking about how they refer to the Thursday games as Sunday uh, and whatnot for the schedule. I actually worked with a guy who played at Ball State and played in the Maction. They obviously have like the Tuesday, Wednesday night. And he said whenever they had a Tuesday or Wednesday game, their coaches would like buy calendars with whatever date the game was played on, with that date being on a Saturday and like basically and post them all over the locker room, go up to them on like a, on a Wednesday and be like, how was your weekend? Like coach, it's yeah. Wednesday. It's like, no, it's Saturday or whatever it's, it's just it's, it's stupid uh but like like today the cowboys are acting like it's wednesday because they're getting yeah. ready for their sunday game on thanksgiving yeah it is funny but it, it's it's just another little football guy thing that i don't know if it makes much of a difference but hey it's it's at least gives us a good story to talk about right um and now the one guy that i will say is still undoubtedly elite it's going to be zach martin can you tell us about what makes zach martin so special and i did see that chris jones had a field day this weekend i think you were talking about it a little bit earlier too was that against Martin or was that on the other side of the field that Chris Jones was able to wreak havoc? It was everywhere. Uh, Chris Jones owned them all, um, to, gotcha. be, to be clear. But, but that <laughs> included Zach Martin. And, you know, Zach has, you know, for so long, I mean, was just this kind of pinnacle of excellence and health. Um, got hurt himself last year. Um, I, I still certainly think he's one of the very best guards in the NFL. But, you know, he's not who he was in 2014 or 2016. And so he can be gotten, I think, at certain times. But. You know, as far as what makes him great, he's just so sound in, in, in how he plays fundamentally um, that, that I don't think there are most offensive line in the NFL can't do that. I mean, he does it with repetition, play in and play out. That's just who he's been. He's been constant. I mean, from day one, I, I think people forget the Cowboys chose him over what many people thought was Johnny Menzel in 2014. And so he's just he's been an all pro pro bowler since day absolute one. And 
Um, I think a big reason for his success is just kind of be the same guy every single day. Gotcha. And we're talking about Lael Collins suspended at the beginning of the season, still wondering uh, what, what, what went on in that situation with him and the, the old uh, drug test going on. But anyways, um, but I noticed, like you said, he wasn't starting when he came back in the lineup right away. Is that something of significance, him not being handed the starting spot upon returning? Or is that just something that I'm looking into too much? You know, it was, it was at Minnesota um, that, that he didn't start his first game eligible and the Cowboys chose to start Terrence Steele instead at right tackle, who's been starting at left tackle with Tyron Smith out. And I think it was a little, you know, they were, they were clearly upset with Lyell for getting up suspended and they were clearly bothered and perturbed. And, you know, at that point in time, I mean, you know, through Mike McCarthy's first 22 games as the Dallas Cowboys head coach, Lyle Collins was available for one of them. Um, and so he's, he's a hard player or has been, at least in, in, in this era of leadership, a hard player to rely on and a hard player to count on versus, you know, in that same span last year, Terrence Steele came in as a rookie undrafted free agent tackle. And you know, I wouldn't lie and say played well, but, but certainly tried very hard. And, you know, that's, that's worth something in the eyes of coaches. And so I think they really appreciated what he did. He worked so hard this off season. And came in and, you know, when Lyle was first suspended, no Cowboys fan wanted Terrence Steele to play right tackle. Every Cowboys fan said, kick Zach Martin out to right tackle. You know, everybody was coming up with all these alternative plans, but Terrence Steele came in and was awesome. I mean, really, really stabilized things on the right side of their offensive line. And so I think it was a combination of just not, you know, not being ready to trust Lyle and Terrence Steele having kind of earned it to a degree. Tyron Smith's injury the following week adjusted, you know, whatever that, you know, that reality would have looked like if Tyron had stayed healthy. Um, it does seem like this could be the first week, uh, this Vegas game, that, that Terrence Steele is not starting just with Tyron and Lyle finally both available. Gotcha. Well, let's pivot to the defensive side of the ball, and we'll start with the defensive line, which has been an interesting position group for Dallas this season with all the injuries. Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory are out on injured reserve. So, RJ, can you just tell us about who's playing in the trenches? Um, so DeMarcus Lawrence hasn't played since the season opener. Randy Gregory has now missed the last two games, uh, being on injured reserve with a calf strain himself. Calf strains have gotten Michael Gallup and Dak Prescott and Randy Gregory this year. Um, so he's, he's definitely not playing, obviously. Dorrance Armstrong, um, has, has been a nice, you know, find, you know, I'd say find. I mean, it's not like he's a rookie or a second year player, but he's really come along and he really came along. Um, you know, in the preseason, and, and you know how that is, sometimes that, that pop doesn't necessarily translate, but it really has, uh, especially these last two games that Randy Gregory has missed. Uh, the Cowboys have used Micah Parsons in that role. You know, they certainly did uh, in their only AFC West win so far when they went to face the Chargers in week two. That was Micah Parsons' second NFL game and just played a ton of defensive end and was incredible doing it. And so it's just been kind of this combination of Gregory and Parsons and Terrell Basham and you know, journeyman after journeyman, but but I'd say Micah Parsons has kind of been the heart of that with, with a little bit of Dorrance Armstrong lately sprinkled in on top. Gotcha. So I, I am curious about that. How much is Micah Parsons actually playing on edge? Is that something that's getting a little bit over-romanticized or is he actually like lining up with his hand in the dirt pretty frequently for the Cowboys? I would say it's it's not over-romanticized in that the fact that it's happening at all with like any sort of success is amazing for Cowboys fans. I mean, you know, um, there were not a lot of people who wanted Micah Parsons, not, you know, didn't want to spend the, the top 10 pick, what was a top 12 pick on a linebacker. Um, and so, you know, maybe it's, it's a little bit, you know, dramatized in that sense, but he has been remarkable. I mean, he has, 
you know, he's, he has eight sacks on the season. He's tied DeMarcus Ware as far as, you know, Dallas Cowboys rookies are concerned in 2005. Um, and so he's, he's doing it with somewhat regularity, especially when Lawrence and Gregory are out. Uh, and he's doing it with a high level of success. And so um, it's, he's a freak. I mean, that's, that's really what it's come down to is he has just been a super freak uh, that has come in. He, you know, he almost, you know, I wouldn't say almost brought the Cowboys back to life, but he did everything he could to bring the Cowboys back to life in Kansas City, uh, which has just kind of been, you know, rare. There has not been a, a defensive pass rusher in any kind of capacity for the Cowboys that's been able to do the sort of things that he has this season. Gotcha. Yeah, you can complain about taking a linebacker uh, at 12 overall, but taking an edge defender at 12 overall is a pretty good pick too. So sure. <laughs> works out for, works out there. On the interior, Osa Odigizawa was a guy that I really liked during last year's draft cycle. And I saw that he's been playing well so far. Can you let us know what type of player Osa is? So Osa, um, if not for Micah, I think Osa would be getting all the talk for defensive rookie of the year. Uh, some of that, you know, because he plays for the Cowboys, but I mean, he has been incredible. You know, another player they've been without since the beginning of the season is, is second-year defensive tackle Neville Gallimore, um, who was hurt in the preseason, and so the Cowboys are still waiting to bring him back. But Oso, kind of forced into a starting role, has just been awesome. I mean, you know, obviously playing inside, so, so not, you know, generating the, the pressure you would see from an edge rusher or anything like that. But he is, I, I believe, among rookies throughout the NFL, second in pressures generated this season only to Micah Parsons. Um, so he has been incredible. I mean, third round pick out of UCLA, um, really just kind of come alive in a way, you know, Michael Parsons has come alive in a way that nobody would have expected. What Osa's is doing was, you know, I don't think anybody really, you know, you have your pet cats and you have your guys that you like in, in the later rounds or mid rounds or whatever, but nobody expected in any way, shape or form. Well, we just talked about Micah Parsons, so let's get to the linebackers. And you told us told us about Parsons as a defensive end, but who is Parsons the linebacker? It's so hard to know just because, you know, we haven't seen it with regularity. You know what I mean? He's just been this, you know, this kind of amalgamation of different roles and different positions and whatnot. But, I mean, you know, is, is he dropping back into coverage all the time? Not necessarily. I mean, he's, he's finding a way. This is a really cop out sort of answer. He's just he's an influencer. You know, he 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 influences every play. He has an impact on every play, uh, wherever he is, wherever he's lining up. Uh, he was calling plays early on in the season. I mean, he has just been somebody that wherever he has been on the field, whatever his physical assignment has been, he's found a way to do it at an inordinately high level. And so I know that's not you know a full fleshed out answer or anything like that. It does sound like kind of riding the fence. But that's just kind of who he's been. I mean, I can't think of many rookies who have come in and, and done what he's done um, and had their hands in as many cookie jars and done it the way that he has. Well, if uh, he's an influencer, maybe instead of the uh, the green dot on the back of the helmet, they should put like a little blue check mark for him. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But you did bring up the coverage. And one of the areas that I was worried about him coming out of college was Penn State's defense didn't ask him to do a whole lot in coverage. So is that a potential weakness for him or is that something that they've kind of been able to hide? I think it's just, hasn't been something that he's been tasked with, you know, because again, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played what a traditional, you know, rookies role in his position would have asked for. I mean, in that sense, you could almost argue that, you know, the craziness of the season has worked to his benefit. Um, you know, and that was the thing when, when the Cowboys drafted him, we had a, a, a live show going on our YouTube channel. Um, and, and the way everybody kind of reasoned with it or squared it with themselves was, all right, they better use him everywhere. They, they, they better just, he better be this, this freak. He better be this guy that's just rushing the passer you know, that that's finding a way to influence, make impacts, et cetera. 
And that's been what, what it's been. And I don't know that it would have been that way if all these players hadn't had to miss time. Um, that has made it a necessity as opposed to if it just been an option for them. I don't know that the Cowboys would have been that brave. Um, but I mean, it's, it, I, I really, I mean, I, I struggle because I, there's not, there has not been a rookie. It, you could kind of argue, I guess, Byron Jones is a rookie, uh, but that was, that was some indecision on the Cowboys part. You know, they couldn't decide whether they thought he was a safety or a corner. And so they just kind of kept, you know, flipping him back and forth to figure it out as opposed to Micah is just, he's a superstar of both. And so it's just a matter of where can he impact the game the most. Gotcha. Well, speaking of coverage linebackers, one thing Dallas focused on this offseason was getting more athletic at the position. And part of that was bringing in converted safety Keanu Neal to come and play some backer. How has Neal worked out so far and how does Dan Quinn use him in this defense? Yeah, you know, they also drafted Jabril Cox uh, in the fourth round of the draft, but he was hurt. He's been lost for the season, and he was really coming along nicely. Um, Keanu, I think, has been been that. I mean, he's just been, you know, I, I think when the Cowboys signed him, he was a big name and, you know, had had a lot of success for Dan Quinn before, so everybody kind of expected this big, massive impact. Uh, and then, you know, there's – and you, you see this more and more, but there's the talk of he's, he's going to convert to linebacker. And you just – you never know what that's going to look like. I think he's been fine. He's, he's been a – a, a satisfactory, you know, one-year deal, free agent signing. Um, and that's that's what, you know, the Cowboys have gotten a lot of those. They've had Keanu Neal, they've had Brent Herb and Terrell Bash, these guys who have come in and just kind of been acceptable. And, and you can have that when you have other players kind of carrying the weight like your Micah Parsons is. But I think overall, most people are satisfied with Keanu Neal um, and, and what he's brought to the team and, you know, for what he's what he's brought with understanding how Dan Quinn wants to operate and whatnot. But um, you know, it's, it's been a crazy position this season and that they, they released Jalen Smith. That took a lot of people by surprise. Um, he's somebody who I think, you know, th there was not a real Cowboys fan out there, I think, who was stunned by that or upset by that. We, we always Jalen the best, obviously, but he had really grown to kind of be a liability for them in coverage specifically, um, which is something that Keanu Neal has kind of helped us forget all about. So you bring it up. And before we move on to DBs, I have to ask you, do you miss Jalen Smith at all? No, I mean, you know, it, it was, um, again, like you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take victory laps around, right. you know, a guy who's, who's, who's been cut twice and whatnot, but, um, you know, he was somebody, he really represented what a lot of people did not like about the organization last year. Um, you know, last year, the Cowboys, when they played these San Francisco 49ers, that game was supposed to happen on Sunday night football. Uh, but the Cowboys were flexed out of that. The Dallas Cowboys were flexed off of primetime. And the um, too. Like that's yeah. a huge like 90s rivalry. Right. And, you know, so it was a real low point, obviously, for the organization. Um, and on top of, you know, not being a great player, Jalen was asked about that and, and, and said some version of if Jerry Jones wasn't upset about it, then he wasn't. And that really, really bothered people. I, I think people really felt like Jalen was – was somebody who, who couldn't read the room. Um, you know, this is a really small example, but T Tony Romo, every franchise has players that they love and, and they love irrationally. Um, and Tony Romo is that for a lot of Cowboys fans. And this offseason, when the NFL rule change was implemented, uh, allowing players to change to jer different jersey numbers, single-digit numbers and whatnot, Jalen switched to number nine. Um, so a player that was not popular – among Cowboys fans uh, directly chose Tony Romo's number. It just, again, like, is it a big deal in the grand scheme of things? No, it's not even a big deal in, in the small scheme of things, but you know, you would have thought that he would have been able to have read the room and thought, and he had a big, you know, like post about how 
much the number meant to him and whatnot. And, and, you know, that's, that's obviously something he feels, but it just, it, you know, it was, it was misstep after misstep. And so uh, the Cowboys defense is better off for, and I think we all are, are hoping the best for Jalen, whatever comes next. Sorry. I started laughing when you were talking about the Cowboys changing or with Jalen Smith changing his number to nine and being a big issue. Cause my wife falls into the category of a huge irrational Tony Romo fan. And she was one yeah. of those people getting very upset that Jalen Smith was going to be wearing number nine. So it was wild. I, I mean, I remember he, um, he like floated the idea out on Instagram and, and we, um, you know, we wrote about that and stuff and there was all this, he better not, you know, stuff. Um, and when he did uh, and reportedly paid, you know, around six figures six to figures. do so um, it was um, it was, it was an interesting time online to say the least. For sure. All right, we'll start to wrap things up with here with the secondary. And the first guy I want to talk about is Trevon Diggs. I know he leads the league in interception, but I also feel like that has something to do with the fact that he's giving up the second most receiving yards among corners this year. Is he just a boom or bust type of player? You know, that was um, a take that that was born early in in the streak because he, he had a, a great streak, obviously, to start the season. And you know how it goes. Um, a lot of Cowboys fans were upset. Oh, you're you know, this is just you know, this is the way PFF grades. This is just you being a hater. Like, you know, there, this, there was all this like discourse for that idea. And that idea has really been exemplified. And I don't think that that makes him, I know you're not saying this, but makes him a bad player or an average player, or whatever. He's a unique player um, in that sense. And a lot of people will take that, right? They'll take this all or nothing, you know, guy. And that's kind of been what he's been. He's, he's either been the guy who, you know, sort of willed a pick six into existence in New England that kept the Cowboys alive. And he's also been the guy that got burned by Tim Patrick, you know, early on in the game against the Denver Broncos. And so, um, you know, you, you never know what you're going to quite get. He, he, I wouldn't say he's erratic or unpredictable, uh, but but it is it, it is almost one or the other, which has um, been an interesting way for the season to kind of unfold for him. Well, building off that, what makes the biggest difference between his booms and his bust? Is it double moves or is it a certain type of receiver or route combination that he struggles with? You know, so I don't want to like, you know, and I, I'm always careful with this because you Cowboys fans are fickle, but like his <laughs> first interception of the season was a tip ball that Leonard Fournette tipped up in the air. Okay, great. The second one against Justin Herbert was really impressive. Uh, the one he had against Jalen Hurts is arguably the most impressive one of the season for me. I mean, Devontae Smith was trying to, you know, go low on the ball and Trayvon just broke on it. And that was impressive. Um, you know, he had two impressive ones against Sam Darnold. But now you start playing like once you hear the quarterbacks, like, OK, well, Jalen Hurts and Sam Darnold. Uh, he had two against Darnold, to be fair. And then he had one off Mike Glennon when Mike Glennon came in, you know, for an injured Daniel Jones. And Glennon just kind of threw it up on a prayer. And I mean, Trayvon is a former wide receiver. He's somebody who can go up and get the ball. And so. The Mac Jones one was off of a little bit of a tip uh, as well. And so I, I don't want to like paint it as he's just been lucky. He's, he's been around the ball. I mean, he's, he's found a way to, to be a sort of magnet, but um, I think he, it's a combination of, of understanding whereabouts the ball is going to go of understanding, you know, what kind of proximity to play your man with. And then just, you know, having the focus that, that, you know, on the ball skills are necessary that wide receivers have, which is what he has had obviously, but, He's not this lockdown, shutdown corner uh, by any means, which I think is a, a misinterpretation that often, you know, occurs when it comes to him. Gotcha. Well, the other corner for the Cowboys, Anthony Brown, doesn't get as much love because he doesn't have as many highlights, but Brown is a good player in his own right. So what does he add to Dallas's defense? Yeah, he is part of the 2016 draft class that brought them Dak and Zeke and, and what was Jalen Smith. So 
But outside of Dak and Zeke, it's just him. He's the only other dude remaining. And he's had, you know, kind of a, I wouldn't say up and down. I mean, he was, you know, he was really impressive, right? Early on, it was, wow, you know, sixth round picks doing this. You know, he's really kind of out kicking his coverage. Um, and then, you know, inherited a little bit more of a larger role, wasn't good enough. Cowboys have drafted a lot of corners in that time. Uh, a lot of top corners spent a second round pick, third round pick, you know, first round pick, if you want to call Byron Drexler, that was before Anthony Brown, but still um, they, they have tried to kind of replace him, but he has been a really stable veteran. And he was, you know, at training camp, if you had asked somebody who is the defensive starter, you have the least amount of confidence. It was probably Anthony Brown. And to your point, a huge like flaw of his has been that he is not Trayvon Diggs. That is what has bothered people. Uh, and when you're constantly compared to that, you don't have those interception numbers. I mean, it's difficult. He might actually have the most impressive interception of the season. The one he had against Atlanta, I think, took the most focus that, that any you know Cowboys DB has had so far this year. Um, but but he is really, I think, his play has really raised their floor in the secondary just because he has been so much better than expected. And so they don't bottom out the way they have in seasons past because he's back there to help things out. Yeah, it's funny. Like, if you go back and, like, I don't know how much – how much weight you put into like PFF grades or anything like that. But like Anthony Brown is significantly higher graded out higher mm-hmm. for them. And that's because I think of what we're talking about, like, obviously he doesn't have, you know, seven interceptions or eight interceptions, right. whatever uh, Diggs is up to, but he is a good player. And I think probably doing his job more frequently than a guy like Diggs is, but at least from my perspective, this last question or this next question is more of a, a personal question, but what's going on with Kelvin Joseph? Is he just struggling to transition to the NFL? I know he hasn't been playing much for you guys. Yeah, second round pick, um, you know, just was on IR early, uh, made his debut against Atlanta and just kind of been, you know, I wouldn't say wishy-washy, but it is strange. I mean, you know, the the Cowboys rookies have played so well, you would have thought they would have been anxious to get Kelvin Joseph out there. That was somebody else that, you know, for early parts of the season, it was, oh, as soon as Kelvin's back, Anthony Brown won't be starting anymore. Like that was the chatter, but you know, it's, I mean, Obviously, a lot of people love to talk about how difficult it is to transition, you know, in the NFL to the cornerback position uh, or transition rather from college to the NFL. And I think he's struggling with that a little bit. I mean, he's played mostly on special teams. He just, you know, it's just early. He hasn't played a ton. Uh, He's still just really raw as far as who he is as an NFL player. Gotcha. Those old uh, early injuries and uh, limited and rocky transitions. Sounds like it. So safety is an interesting position for the Cowboys for me because there are names that I recognize like J. Ron Curse, Mike Malik Hooker, and even uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but I know I recognize it from before. Is it Demonte KZ? Am I saying that right? Yeah, a lot of pronunciations go KZ, but you're in the right neck of the woods. All right, well, I'm glad. I'm glad at least uh, some on the right track there. But anyway, enlighten me. What should I know about those three guys? I think the the most you know Malik Hooker is might maybe the biggest name. Um, obviously, because he played at Ohio State. And, you know, he was a really late addition to the Cowboys, joined the team in training camp. And he's been fine. Um, DeMonte's been been fine, too. Um, had a great interception in against the Chargers as well. Uh, but J. Ron Curse is probably the most notable one, um, just in that, you know, he was maybe arguably the most unexpected. I, you know, every team gets a, like, you know, when they sign him, a lot of people, who who's that? Never heard of him. What, what What's his PFF grade? Stuff like that. Uh, but Curse has really come in and not only, I think, played well, uh, but he's kind of turned into the leader on the defense. I mean, I mentioned that Michael was calling plays. It's because the green dot went to Jaron Curse. Um, he's coming off of a game in Kansas City where he had an interception. Granted, it was a, a tip ball situation. You know, still impressive, but, you know, not exactly breaking on the ball. Um, and, and he has just kind of been the, like, big brother they needed. I know that's a really lame cliche, 
but but you know he's been this because they're so young. I mean Trayvon, as much as you know Trayvon Diggs has done, he's a second year player. Michael Parsons is a rookie, obviously. Oh, so Diggy Zoo is a, a rookie. I mean you've got the, your big brothers, your Demarcus Lawrence's and Randy Gregory's aren't there right now, and so J. Ron has really kind of been that guy. Um, and kind of turned into, again, the sort of vocal, passionate, rah-rah leader on the defense. And he's got the, you know, stable enough play on the field to back that up. Yeah, J. Ron's always been an interesting guy for me because I uh, grew up a big Javon Curse fan. Uh, and nice. J. Ron's obviously his, his nephew. And I just remember watching J. Ron play at Clemson and seeing the six-five safety coming downhill. I'm like, why isn't this guy getting more love? Why is this guy only going to be like a fifth-round pick? That's what I think he was of the Vikings a few years ago. So it, it is nice to hear that he's starting to finally come into his own. And like I said, living up to his uncle's freak moniker. So, well, RJ, I always end asking about the head coach. And I'm curious for your opinion on Mike McCarthy, because I feel like even if the Cowboys make the playoffs, he could end up being one of those coaches that ends up being like the surprise firing. Is that something you think that could be a possibility or is it kind of just a little drummed up because of the some struggles early on in the season? Yeah, I, um, I I certainly disagree with that notion. Um, you know, like a lot of this sounds like excuses, but, you know, I, I mentioned several times last year, Lyle Collins didn't play the whole year. Tyron Smith barely played. Dak Prescott missed most of the season. There was no Micah Parsons. Um, you know, and I think, you know, Mike McCarthy does not have the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he, he lost a PR battle to Aaron Rodgers, which really taints you in the minds of a lot of people. Um you know, and I think it's, it's thank you, Bear. Um, I think it's worth saying out loud. You know, he he devoted the entire 2019 season um, to to bettering his craft, to understanding, to learning, to developing, et cetera, et cetera. He went to the PFF offices, and 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 I think that part of what what lost him some some cred, I guess. You know, he was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and that's a, a big blue blood, you know, franchise in the NFL. But it's not the Dallas Cowboys from a magnitude standpoint. Randall Cobb, I remember after his first game with the Cowboys, said that the level of attention on that game was like a playoff game for Green Bay. You know, Mike McCarthy, everybody remembers in his, his opening press conference, joked about how he, he said he only watched every game in 2019 to get the job. And he kind of, you know, he, he poo-pooed the idea in 2020 of kicking Zach Martin out to right tackle. He said, this isn't fantasy football. You can't do these things. And the very next week, out of, out of necessity, they had to do that, and Martin played really well. Um, and so I think he's, you know, he's, he's learned um, that what he says will be used against him. Um, and, and so I think that that's been a level of growth for him. I do think that – I don't know that I think he's this woke analytics god or anything, but um, he is aggressive on fourth down. He, he does, you know, have a lot of leans and tendencies that are in line with analytical ways of thinking in, in terms of, of the way that, you know, minds smarter than, than me um, have sort of authored as far as, you know, the way football is played today. And so that is real. And, and people don't want to give him that credit or they want to assign it somewhere else. And I think that's been the, the difficulty for him this year is any, any shred of optimism, any shred of credibility goes to anyone else. The offense is humming. Kellen Moore is a genius. Cowboys are generating all these turnovers on defense. Dan Quinn is awesome. Look what Dan Quinn's doing. They're, they're, you know, they have great leadership. Dak Prescott's awesome. Micah Parsons is great. J. Ron Curse is wonderful. So on and so forth. I mean, Mike McCarthy gets none of the credit and all of the blame, which is true for any head coach, but is, is true, I think, to a particularly large level when it comes to the Cowboys. And I think what's more is he, he doesn't, fit the Cowboys vibe. I mean, he's, you know, he's a Pittsburgh guy who spent a lot of time in the Midwest and, you know, frankly, doesn't have time for the BS. He doesn't have time to, 
you know, go to the dinner with the CEO of the local grocery chain that's got three suites at AT&T Stadium. He just wants to talk ball. And, and if he has some time, drink a couple, you know, IPAs. I mean, that's that's the Mike McCarthy way. And so what I have loved about him has been that he has been the same guy through and through. And, you know, people killed him for how he went for it on fourth down against the Broncos early on, even though they didn't get it. Tim Patrick, among people, thought it was disrespectful, you know, how the Cowboys went for it on fourth and short when, look, man, it's just a logic. It's just it's it's the way the book is written at this point in time. And Mike McCarthy follows it. And so um, obviously they're having a lot of success this year. And Dak Prescott being back is a big reason for that. But um, I don't think there's any way he gets fired. I think the Cowboys are, are obviously going to be a playoff team. And I think the narrative of how they fare. You know, do, do they win a, a crazy game? Do they win on a last second field goal? Does Dak Prescott throw a last second touchdown? Do they lose on a weird penalty that that sets them up? Do they block a field goal, whatever? I think all that will go a long way. But there have been a lot of people to end my little diatribe here who have said, you know what, at the end of the season, just fire Mike McCarthy and promote Kellen Moore. And I think Sunday in Kansas City really showed how not ready for this particular job Kellen Moore is. And that's okay. He's like 31 years old. You know, and it takes time to learn and to grow and develop. And a lot of people along those lines really kill McCarthy because, well, Kellen handles the offense and Quinn handles the defense. And Bones Fossil handles the special teams. What does McCarthy do? He does all of the other crap that, you know, these guys don't have time to do because McCarthy's allowing them to flourish in their roles. So I think he really understands uh, what's necessary of him. I think he was humbled by the way things ended in Green Bay. Uh, which I don't think has happened to his other half in that relationship. And I think that all things considered, I think he's what this team has needed from an aggression standpoint, which is, you know, if you've got an elite offense, you should be aggressive way more often than not. Well, I tell you what, for anyone that says, what does Mike McCarthy do on this team? All I, all I think you have to respond is those watermelons aren't going to smash themselves. Okay. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that's part of it too, is the, the narrative is that he's this cheesy hokey guy. Everybody heard the monkey butt story after the Falcons I think you win. need and that so, as, a, as a head coach to motivate some guys sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, he is – and he is different. He, he marches to the beat of a different drum. And as a very, very small example of that, um, you know, for anyone who's never been to AT&T Stadium, the Cowboys' entrance to the stadium is legitimately like walking through a nightclub. Uh, there's these glass panes and there's people who are there in this kind of darkened club area of the stadium and there's drinks and like everybody's celebrating. One of the first things Mike McCarthy did was change that. They, they now enter the game through a different tunnel. And again, it's a really small, obviously insignificant example, but there are little things like that, you know, that, that he is doing and adjusting that are more in line with called the Green Bay Packers or Pittsburgh Steelers way of thinking. But, you know, the Cowboys are always going to be glitzy and glamorousy. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they are they are losing some of that focus when it comes to how they play football. And, and I think that we've seen that, you know, I everybody, you know, wondered what happened um, when the Cowboys beat the Falcons. They, they blocked a punt at the end of the first half to go up 34 to three um, on the extra point attempt. It was good. But the Falcons had 12 men on the field and Mike McCarthy took the point off the board and went for two. And a lot of people, you know, assumed or presumed. Oh, they're just trying to send a message after Denver destroyed them last week. It's like, no, they, they understand this is if you if you get that penalty, it's smarter, it's more logical, it increases your win probability to go for two in this instance. And that's what Mike McCarthy does. That's who he is. And nobody ever wants to give him that benefit of the doubt. And in my last example, I know I said I had one tiny one. I'm obviously not passionate at all about this subject. Um <laughs> Everybody killed McCarthy for the way he handled the end of the game against the Chargers in week two. 
how the Cowboys were kind of lackadaisical with getting, you know, up to, you know, field goal position, ready to kick a field goal, which they did. And they won the game and nobody killed Brandon Staley, who is like a darling, you know, among NFL coaches this year. And I love Brandon Staley, but Brandon Staley ended that game with three timeouts in his pocket that he didn't use at all to preserve any time for Justin Herbert in the event that the Cowboys kicked the field goal when that game was tied. And so I think he just, McCarthy doesn't get a benefit of the doubt that a lot of other people do. And that's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. I mean, I do respect McCarthy a lot for uh, being just to being a coach that like kind of looks himself in the mirror and actually makes a change. Like, I think a lot of the head coaches and a lot of football coaches in general, they get this, like, like this attitude of like, this is my way. This is how it's worked for me in the past. This is right. how it's going to keep working. And to be able to change course to do that, I think is something that's uh, highly respectable of a head coach. But last thing before we start to part, um, you brought up Kellen Moore. Obviously the Raiders have a, are going to have a need at head coach this year. It doesn't look like Rick Trubisacci is going to be retained. And Kellen Moore is kind of the name that a lot of fans, at least the sexy name that a lot of fans want to kick around as a potential head coach candidate. Um, touched on a little bit there. You touched on a little bit when you're talking about McCarthy, but what do you kind of, what do you expect from Kellen Moore as a head coach or what should Raider fans kind of be more cautious about him? Like you're talking about him being only 31 and having some struggles in the last few weeks. You know, I love Kellen and I certainly think he's going to make a, a great head coach whenever the, the opportunity presents itself. I do think it's worth saying out loud that his stock was really high last year. In fact, he did interview for the vacancy with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and a lot of people thought that the natural fit would have been when Boise State had a, an opening last year. Obviously, that's right. that's Kellen Moore's you know, college that he went to and played for. And he didn't. He chose instead to sign an extension with the Dallas Cowboys, even though he was really, really connected to that job. And, and you would have thought, you know, a guy at this age, like that was just kind of the natural fit for him. Um, and so that being said, I'm not going to pretend to know uh, about the intensity that Raiders fans are feeling towards the season and about the, the need for a restart and, a, you know, whatever as it relates to the culture. But it's my opinion based, you know, as an outsider that, that I think you need, I mentioned adult in the room and not to imply that Kellen isn't an adult, but I think you need somebody with a much more stabilizing presence for that job specifically. If, if I was a Raiders fan, I would I would prefer Doug Peterson to Kellen Moore. I, I don't know that right now, if you're the Raiders, and I say this with all due respect, you're in a position where you need the guy who's going to come in to win the Super Bowl. I think you need, you know, I don't mean this seriously, but you need Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett came in when the Cowboys were really, really, really bad culture. And if he accomplished anything, it was establishing a culture of accountability and responsibility. They didn't win a lot of football games, but I think you need that. I think that that foundation has to be set. Um, and I just don't think Kellen Moore is experienced enough to do that right now, regardless of where he were to go if he did leave the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. And I think you have a really good point there, because especially with how the rate, how the uh, last month or so has kind of unfolded for the Raiders, where it's definitely brought in some uh, maturity issues within the team. So definitely have a pretty good point there for uh, Raider fans to consider. But well, RJ, thanks again for coming on real quick before we exit. Where can uh, people follow you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. That's just RJ O-C-H-O-A. Uh, fun week. Looking forward to a fun game. Um, I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving and safe travels if they're moving around or whatever the case may be. Eat early. I, trust me. Because if you lose, <laughs> and obviously I've, I've lost a lot of these, um, it's not fun. You don't, you don't want to eat afterwards. So make sure you eat early. Um, and because if you lose, what you want to do is you just want to go shopping or whatever. Go, go find some sort of Black Friday sale and, and kind of, you know, uh, shop your troubles away. Gotcha. We appreciate the heads up and the, the insight on uh, how to cope with the with the potential loss. Hopefully uh, things end up better for the Raiders, but we'll see what happens. Thanks again for coming on, RJ. You guys know where to find me, Adam Holder 95 on Twitter. 
follow Silver and Black Pride. Give us those five-star reviews. Drop a comment. Even if you hate it, just make sure you give those five-star reviews. That's all we really care about over here. Uh, but anyways, until next time, guys. <laughs>